conditions to rehabilitate MBS or to go back to business as usual with Saudi Arabia won't, won't only harm Saudi people, but it will backfire. Emboldening um, someone like MBS who has imprisoned the prime minister of a uh, sovereign state, Lebanon, and who has started the worst uh, war, um, the, uh, Yemen, will backfire. Um, so the U.S. should stop, you know, thinking about short-sighted policies and start uh, thinking about the long-term uh, st strategies. And the bordering MBS will only um, feed a monster that will be unstoppable in, in a couple of years. Lena uh, Hathlul, we want to thank you for being with us, head of the Advo of advocacy for the independent nonprofit group that works to defend human rights in Saudi Arabia, sister of Saudi feminist activist Lujain Al-Hathlul. This is Democracy Now! I'm Amy Goodman with Juan Gonzalez. Thanks for joining us. You're listening to KBOO Portland, 90.7 FM. The time is 7.59 a.m. Next up is Wednesday Talk Radio with Paul Rowland. Good morning, everybody. Has a little bit of a different start to the show. Uh, I'll be trying to find a song about uh, pretendians. They don't seem to exist yet, but that was um, that was a, an amazing album. Till the bars break um, with Jeanette Armstrong, Okanagan native. But that was a song called "At Least American Indian People Know Exactly How They've Been Effed Around." with uh, eventually the voice of Chuck D of Public Enemy. Anyway, I'm Paul Rowan. This is Wednesday Talk Radio. Good morning, everybody. And good morning to my host, Jacqueline Keeler. How are you doing, Jackie? Good morning, Paul. Doing good. Doing good, good, good. good. Um, so we're back to uh, your unfortunate favorites. <laughs> favorite, I wouldn't say favorite, but you're uh, a subject that has uh, dominated, unfortunately, your attention because it it continues to be um, a major theme in American culture, strangely enough. And uh, so, uh, let me just. Uh, well, it, uh, so you're uh, you've got uh, you've been threatened with actually you've been served with legal action. I understand. Well, I guess if, I don't know if an email can be considered as being served, <laughs> but yeah. Uh, so it hasn't been filed yet. The lawsuit. Uh, no, and in, in fact, we weren't officially served either. We weren't. Sent, we were just sent an email, so we were never, um, you know, um, served per se. Do you mean, or uh, you know, given? I, I guess normally you're supposed to do it through um, um, certified mail and things like that. We never got anything like that, and so of course nobody knows what we're talking about. So we better let them know. Yeah, definitely. So on, um, let's see. I think it was uh, May 26. Um, myself and three other Native. Native American citizens of federally recognized tribes and a Native American organization, advocacy organization, um, that we were all um, basically um, sent these emails from um, Snell and Wilmer, which is actually a, uh, um, which is actually a, 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 a law firm here in Portland, Oregon. They have a branch um, here. I think their, yeah. their main branch may be in Denver. I, I just kind of barely looked into it. Yeah, although the attorney representing her um, is um, from here, from Portland. Well, we'll and, talk about uh, who he is, but who is she? Yeah. So, yeah, so Erica Wirth is a, um, let's see, so she uh, she's an author and a professor. Um, I think she teaches at Western Illinois University, and um, and she is based out of Denver, and she has claimed that she, uh, that she is descended from three tribes, and she gives a very detailed story about that descendancy. And uh, she claims that her, um, her, I think her great grandmother was a Cherokee, uh, was a Chickasaw woman who ran a whorehouse in Texas, and then that's a colorful a uh, backstory. Yes, yes, and had a child with one of her customers, um, an Apache man. So her son was half Chickasaw and half Apache, and because uh, his father had been the John. 
And then, um, and then she claims that then, uh, her grandmother, Marguerite, was a Cherokee, uh, runaway, a wealthy Cherokee runaway, um, and who then joined the house, the house of ill repute as, as a prostitute. And, um, and was prostituted out by her future Chickasaw mother-in-law. And, um, and then, um, was kind of forced to marry the half Apache son because urban Indians were running out of blood and they had to force people to get married. All, all this kind of, I, it's a very strange story. But Sounds like a good novel to me. Yeah, well, I don't know. If I, I haven't actually read her novels, but I haven't heard the reviews I heard haven't been great. So, but yeah, the, um, so um, from other native authors, and but yeah, the uh, um, yeah she. Uh, but we tried to verify the story, which is what we do. We don't verify enrollment. We don't verify blood quantum unless it's specifically stated, right? So whatever they claim is what we seek to verify. And so we basically looked at her tree. We we looked at all the paperwork around the lives of these three individuals, and we also built their tree out. So I think we built her tree out to um, I, I almost four thousand people. So, so, um, and, um, and so, uh, so anyway, so we built it out, you know, we don't just do it, you know, linearly, we do it, all the cousins, all the, everyone who stepped off the, the descendants of everyone who stepped off the boat, like going back to 1600, like all of those people, does he have any of them ever claimed to be Indian? And this is, this, this has the appearance of a totally white tree. I mean, we don't see any, any of the claims that she's making are just not happening in the tree. And so we have asked her for, you know, evidence. Um, and there have been four teams of Native researchers over two and a half years who have investigated her story, four separate teams. And, um, and, and no one has been able to verify these claims, um, you know, and, and you know, these teams have consisted of uh, tribal genealogists, even the official tribal genealogists of the Cherokee Nation, you know, professors, all kinds of people who are very skilled in research, journalists, um, and, um, and no one can find her Indian ancestry. And so, so we have asked her, uh, there was a fake, the fake Indian blog, um, they, they did a five part series on her and, um, and basically, you know, just kept out there. So where is it? Show us. And she never did. And, um, and so all she had to do, all she had to prove that she was native was this, this kind of, um, semi nude photo of a, of a, of a, of the silent film star taken in, you know, the early 1900s. It was mass-produced, and they claim that's their Cherokee um, prostitute ancestor, Marguerite. But we looked at her family tree, and her family are from, you know, she's from Indiana. Her family are totally white. There's no connection to the Cherokee Nation whatsoever. Um, and uh, they, they briefly lived in Oklahoma, but that, they were there as part of the, the land rush when white people were allowed to come and take land. And um, and they were just there for a few years to prove their homestead. Then they moved, they sold it, and moved away. I think a lot of people think, "Oh, my ancestors live in Oklahoma. They must be Indian." But you know, <laughs> there's all kinds of other documentation showing what they were really doing. And so, um, so these are white people who come to take land and then sell it and make money and then move back to wherever they came from. And and so um, so it's. Uh, there's just no, you know, certainly no Apache, you know, the Chickasaw madam was actually the daughter of a wealthy white rancher in Texas who also owned hotels and was a pretty powerful figure in, in, in Texas politics. Um, and, uh, but I mean, there's just nothing, this is, this is just a white family. It's so, all we found. So Erica yeah. Wirth, so she's um, a novelist. She's written a number of books. Uh, you say not well-reviewed, but she's gotten a certain amount of buzz. Um, here's a, her, her latest novel, I guess, White Horse, is a New York Times editor's pick, a Good Morning America buzz pick, and an Indie Next Target Book of the Month, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. She's both a Kenyan and Sewanee fellow, as published in the Kenyan Review, BuzzFeed, and the Writer's Chronicle, and is a narrative artist for the Meow Wolf Denver installation, whatever it is. Yeah, and her it, books have names like Buckskin Cocaine, <laughs> Um, you know, uh, and also her use of Chickasaw culture, which one of our researchers was really upset about, was just completely, uh, I mean, if you actually are a member of these cultures and you see the way they're being misused, it's, it's horrifying to read that stuff. I mean, for someone who has no clue. So basically, okay. you're saying she yeah. shamelessly exploits this alleged yeah. Native ancestry in order to write these very colorful, possibly lurid, lurid. novels. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's very much in the vein of poverty porn, you know, um, which has gotten a lot of criticism, you know, of you know, people going to the reservation, highlighting the poverty, and then leaving. And um, and then, uh, yeah, and also her, um, another book is called um, um, Crazy Horse's Girlfriend. It's all very, you know, it, I don't know. It's I, I, I haven't had the heart. I've read little snippets, and they're pretty bad, you know, and it's just like, I can't bring myself to read the whole thing because it just would be an awful experience for me. And but um, native writers that I respect and who are you know really skilled at presenting our perspective of just you know and that's the thing is like when white people are judging these things they don't um, they 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 rely you know like I often refer in, um, to the study done in 2017 by the Kellogg Foundation it was a 2.5 million dollar study that surveyed what white people thought of Indians and this was just after Standing Rock and. Um, and what they found was that white people only view native people as 60% human. That means 40% animal. And, and that they enjoy seeing, in fact, it raises their self-esteem to see other white people in red face. So I think when white people are judging, white Americans are judging this material, they are coming at it from a direction which, um, you know, <laughs> which they, they may not, you know, they, they don't view native people as fully human. And, and they don't, they, and they enjoy seeing people, white people perform our identity for them. So they bring that to the book when they read it. And, and this is, you know, <clears throat> and, and so then they prefer these things to the writings of actual native people, you know, and because it just, it fulfills something more for them. And, and so we're talking more about something about what, what white people need, what white people want from Indian representation and that they prefer the, the, the person in red face. They prefer the LARPer, you know, the, um, you know, the live action role player. They prefer that. And so they center it. And, um, and so, you know, the question is, would she have this career if she wasn't claiming to be native? Right. You're and she's also claimed to be black as well. Oh, no. Um, and, yeah. So she's, uh, yeah, she, um, um, yeah, she, there's a whole series of tweets in October 20. 21, I think, where she's just going on and on about how she's a black Native woman. And um, so, um, but yeah, but actual black Native women who have questioned her have been attacked on, on Twitter and called anti-black. And um, there's a, a, a Wampum Moon who's an enrolled member for a fairly recognized tribe. Um, I think, I'm not sure, I think Shinnecock. And, um, and she's been brutally attacked on Twitter for questioning Erica Worth. And, and so, so you have someone who appears you know, as far as what we can find in the documentation, to be entirely white, and um, and to be in you know to be promoting these stories, and then basically encouraging people to attack people who actually possess the, that ancestry, Jimmy, uh-huh. <laughs> and uh, and to defend her. So this is um, so she's uh, she's been part of a group that's been very aggressive on Twitter and other places, um, and um, against accountability, against checking stories. Well, there and. Um, they're, they're, I mean, the, well, I just want to first be clear that in, in my title for this, uh, well, we're going to have to get into the what the legal action is. Um, we haven't done that because uh, you're calling it a slap suit, which means strategic lawsuit against public participation. We'll have to, to go into what that means, too. But host Kabu's Jacqueline Keeler threatened with slap suit for calling a alleged pretending. I just want to, you know, I want to be careful. I don't want to you know, have Kabu get into any legal difficulties. So you're you're the researcher, you're the one who's making yeah. these claims, and I'm just asking you questions here. But uh, it sounds like, given that you have um, been at least served with an email warning, whatever that means, and that, you know, you do face potential consequences, you're, you obviously feel, feel fairly confident since you're stepping out and now talking live on the radio about it. Yes, yeah. So, uh, yeah, so on uh, May 26th, uh, we were given, um, we were sent a, uh, <laughs> a, um, a letter uh, via email from the legal administra- administrative assistant of this law firm and um, uh, Snell and, uh, and uh, uh, Wilmer, and, uh, and the complaint was written by Clifford S. Davidson, who is an anti-slap, he, he, he markets himself as an anti-slap lawyer here in Oregon and is a member of the Oregon Newspaper Association and so um, is actively seeking journalists as clients and yet he has sent this letter threatening a lawsuit um, 
uh, you know, against uh, three Native journalists. And um, so uh, uh, the reason why... So, we, so she's claiming that because we had revealed that, um, uh, that she was not Native, right, or we could not find her Native American ancestry, um, that this cost her a half a million dollars in um, book contracts or, or some present... She doesn't detail exactly. And so... Um, she's calling it her Native American heritage, quote unquote. And so, um, so she, uh, so she, uh, um, I have not published on her. I have uh, other, you know, the fake Indian blog is the primary source for this information publicly um, published. And it was actually used in an article that called her, her claims worthless in the New York Post after it came out. And, um, and she, but she is, you know, to, for defamation to have actually occurred, um, we, she would have to prove a number of things. One, it's, it's a difficult case to prove because she is a public figure, right? And um, all authors are public figures. Technically, almost all of us engages are, are public figures. And secondly, she has to prove malice, which is that um, we knew the truth. We knew she was Native, but we, we continued to lie to harm her career, right? So, as I mentioned, there were four different um, teams of Native investigators. There was myself and my team, and then uh, which um, included two Cherokee genealogists, which we worked on that for about two years. Um, before we even started, there was um, an, uh, uh, two Native news editors had been working on her tree for half a year, half a year before we started. So um, they continued to do the research, and they still have not found anything that ties her to any of the tribes. Um, and then, of course, Fake Indian Blog did their own investigation fake Indian blog is an anonymous blog that um, is written by tribal genealogists. They could not find, it's a 15-year-old blog, they've been around, they've broken a lot of stories on frauds. In fact, the very first stories I ever covered were stories that they broke in the press. And um, and so they couldn't find anything. Uh, what was the fourth? I guess uh, the Tribal Alliance Against Frauds also did have um, their own genealogists, and they did research, and they couldn't find anything. And and they published um, a press release um, promoting uh, the fake Indian blog's research, and then also they, they also created a pictogram showing clearly how she has no Native ancestry. So what's, and, the, um, yeah. what's the Tribal Alliance Against Fraud? Um, they're a Cherokee-based organization. They were started by uh, members of both the Cherokee Nation and the Eastern Band Cherokee in North Carolina. There's, there are three federally recognized Cherokee um, tribes, and uh, those are two of them. And so um, so they've been fighting it because, of course, Cherokees have been really the focus of a lot of this kind of fraud in the past. And so, um, but, and they're based in North Carolina on Eastern Band Cherokee territory. I don't know what that would do with the lawsuit as far as trying to serve a <laughs> um, something that's based on Indian land uh, under Indian jurisdiction. And so, um, but, um, but yeah, but she... Um, so, so, so she doesn't have she, and so they don't mention any um, finance. There's no financial request um, at all. And some of the things she also claims I've been doing is not. I've never done. I've never called anyone about her um, no book festivals or um, or anything like or made threats like they're saying here. Um, and so I thought I thought it was basically kind of a fishing expedition. Um, they have all these claims on Twitter that all these other accounts that support me are really me operating all of them. And so there's this idea that I'm just doing all of this stuff by myself. And, and so it's, it's sort of one of the techniques that pretendians use and their supporters use to isolate Native people and make them feel even more marginalized and fearful. And, and this is really all about fear, about um, this letter. Um, we showed it to a number of attorneys before um, um, we chose our attorney to represent us, and um, and, uh, and and they all were like, "This has got. This is just. This is just a. This is just a threat letter. It's, it has no teeth to it." Um, and so, uh, so she demanded that uh, she didn't demand any financial um, stuff, but she demanded that we go and we remove or delete or depublish all claims on social media. Um, and any other public forum concerning this worth or her Native American heritage, and that we must contact all festivals, events, and publishing organizations that uh, we communicate with about Ms. Worth and make clear your previous claims um, were false and based on inaccurate genealogy. 
And um, and so this is like, you know, for us to be able to do that, we would need proof. And that's what I did. I did email them back and say, um, we would need to see her genealogy because without proof of the American ancestry, she claims what exactly would be the legal basis for her case of defamation. After viewing her documented proof of her claims to Cherokee, Apache, and Chickasaw ancestry, we'd be happy to retract the claims. Please guide us in this matter. And um, so that was my initial response. Um, and uh, we wait. We were given what, a week deadline, which is, I guess, talking to attorneys is very short for a negotiation period. And um, and the fact that she never presented any proof shows that she doesn't have it. So, and so, so um, would you? Yeah. This is kind of like perhaps you're uh, like a hail mary sort of hail mary pass, sort of last ditch, because she yeah, she knows I she's think- she's maybe she knows she's got doesn't have a leg to stand on possibly. I would hope so. It's very hard because they never stop claiming. Um, that's our experience with, with um, pretendians. And, and they keep, um, you know, just really, they won't let it go. And um, somebody sort of feel like there's some kind of personality disorder, like narcissism. What, what is going on here? There's something else going on here. And um, so, you know, for Native people to be victimized by this kind of um, sort of harassment, um, fear-mongering, um, marginalization, uh, financial demands by someone who appears to be entirely white, right, um, is, uh, is, is, it really is another manifestation of colonialism. You know, um, here is someone who comes to a family that can't come to grip with their real history, which is just that these were just white people. We weren't even able to prove that the whorehouse ever existed, actually. Um, there was some newspaper reporting that, the, that um, for Chickasaw, quote-unquote Chickasaw, um, ancestor's father was a very powerful man in Texas at the time. I think he owned hotels not only in Houston, but Corpus Christi. And those are places where he would engage in um, basically sort of a putting uh, with prostitutes, putting politicians in uncomfortable positions in Texas and gaining power that way. So this, this is a white family that was, you know, was, was not just an ordinary white family. They were playing, they were playing a power game in Texas, I mean, and, and were wealthy enough to do it. And so it's just a really different history than the one she's presenting here. And um, interesting in its own way, obviously. And we, um, you know, Tony, one of the folks, he's Tony Perry, he's the Chickasaw researcher, and he uh, also attended Dartmouth like I did. And, and, um, and he, uh, you know, he, he, he made a lot of effort to contact Houston Historical Societies, go through a lot of the, um, you know, work with the librarians there to try to research this alleged whorehouse. And there was just nothing. I mean, uh, you know, I mean, I'm sure many of our listeners have gone to the Oregon Historical Society. You know all the sort of local sort of um, information that, that can be gotten from those sorts of places, um, particularly with, um, you know, you, you, you can find out a lot. And, and just the, the non-existence of a lot of things she's describing is just um, uh, quite striking. And, um, you know, I, I don't... Um, there's an interesting story there, but it really doesn't have anything to do with us. And a lot of, you know, she's claiming that, that her, you know, that, that this, in this desperate kind of thing has urban Indian population, which I don't, this is like a completely made up story. There were this large urban Indian population that was struggling to maintain itself by forced marriage. And, um, and she claims her ancestor was forced into marriage with a much older man. In reality, they were the same age, both teenagers. And then that he then impregnated her and gave her like syphilis or something and then kicked her in the stomach while she was all this really, this violence and she's projecting it onto a native story. But from what we can tell, these are all just white people. Again, it, 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 to me, uh, it sounds like she's, uh, I, I, again, allegedly, uh, uh, mixing, using her creative writing talents uh, and writing them into her own history and life. But I just want to, you mentioned the slap suit, strategic lawsuit against public participation. I pulled up the Wikipedia page. Um, slap suit um, are lawsuits intended to censor, intimidate, and silence critics by burdening them with the cost of a legal defense until they abandon their criticism or opposition. Because uh, I, I think of slap suits, you know, against people who are trying to, you know, uh, protesting against a, a, a whatever a fossil fuel project or logging or whatever, and so I, I didn't see exactly initially how how that yours fit your, with this, which isn't a lawsuit yet, but this threatened legal action. But yeah, it, it definitely 
is definitely exactly along those lines. Well, uh, I mean, you also, I mean, we're we're where we are whistleblowers. I mean, we're calling out fraud. Right, right, mean? right, right. And exactly. so she's trying to prevent that from happening because this is all about marketing, right? You know, when we address um, a publisher or an event, someone's holding an event, we are addressing their marketing, right? How are they marketing this person? Okay, and so there are truth and advertising laws, and there is even the Indian Arts and Crafts Act, which um, doesn't apply to authorship yet, but we are trying to get it expanded in that direction. Um, but includes, um, you know, American Indian art, like fine art and, and arts and crafts. And um, it seems like a huge yeah. loophole since there's so so many writers who fall into that. Uh, Oh, yeah. I mean, this has been an ongoing problem. I mean, I think around 1970, the Cheyenne Nation in Montana sued, I think it was Harper's um, publisher, because uh, they had published that book, Seven Arrows, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, by this um, this pretendian, Jaime Estra Storm. I don't know if I pronounced his name correctly. But, you know, he they published it as a, as a nonfiction book about Cheyenne culture. And the tribe took them to court and won. And um, and now they have to publish it as, as, as fiction. But people, you read the reviews, and people to this day still think it's real, you know. And um, and you know, even you know um, long outed fakes like uh, that um, Ku Klux Klan leader uh, who wrote Little Little Tree, the education of Little Tree. You know, you still see people promoting that book as, as if it's true. And so it's really hard, um, you know, how publishers market um, their authors. Uh, and, you know, and I did contact, they gave me a contact in Powell's bookstore, and I did contact them because um, her book was a book promoted by the bookstore for, for Native American Heritage Month, right? And she got, she was on um, the, uh, was it um, the Good Morning America as the Native American Heritage Month recommended book. And so, you know, uh, I didn't contact the TV show, but I, you know, I had in 2018, I had written um, the blog for Powell's Bookstore for Native American Heritage Month, and so, you know, I had the contact information, and so, um, you know, um, myself and other Native people did contact them and say, look, you know, we can't find any evidence this person is Native, and the response we got back was that, well, well, you know, Powell's Bookstore relies on the marketing material provided by the publisher. <laughs> Yeah, and that yeah, and so we were like, okay, and and so really, this is a marketing issue. Like, how are they being marketed? And 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 there, you know, one of the main there's like three main kind of um, elements of federal law on um, truth and advertising, and one of them is that everything in the marketing materials can be authenticated, and they can't authenticate this, um, you know, and so why should it even be in there? Why not just sell it and not mention it? I mean, so, it, so so it all it, depends on how good a marketer you you are. Well, I mean, that's the nature of our. That's the nature of American culture. So why not? Well, I mean, it's, <laughs> you know, I mean, there are you know, and, and this harms Native people because it represents inaccurate representations. You know, this is basically um, what appears to be a white woman's fantasy of Indian people, right? For her own self gain. I mean, she's saying she lost a half a million dollars can't claim it anymore. So uh, so have you been to Powell's? Are her books uh, in the Native American section? I imagine or, I guess they, they would be. I haven't, I haven't yeah. been there. Um, I haven't checked, but I imagine they are. I mean, they were, um, I think someone did send me a, a photo of her book presented there and stuff. Yeah, I mean, there are, and, and hers is not the only pretendian book being, you know, marketed. And so it's, um, you know, I just, uh, you know, and I, I think that the way, uh yeah, so, so this kind of harassment, we we really felt we had to address it, and um, the uh, the Native advocacy organization chose to ignore it um, because they just saw it as being um, you know um, frivolous. And uh, but we, uh, myself, and two other Native um, journalists, um, uh, Tony Perry, who is a Chickasaw author and and um, a published um, you know opinion writer, and then also um, uh, Tiffany Mitch, who is uh, Standing Rock, uh, Lakota, and, um, and and originally from the Seattle area, um, who was also um, she was actually featured on um, the, the show um, that radio show that shoots here in Portland, um, the book um, um, "Bury My Heart" at, at Chuck E. Cheese was featured. I can't remember, sorry now, but um, 
But yeah, so she uh, she was also named, and and really um, it was kind of puzzling because Tiffany didn't even do any of this stuff. <laughs> she was like, I was like, why am I even in this, you know? And um, and so uh, so anyway, so we we uh, I fundraised and we raised um, um, last I checked over eight thousand dollars, and and we were able to retain a really amazing um, Indian law firm, um, and so uh, and um, who you know. And so they responded for us, and we haven't heard anything back. Um, you know, it's uh, June 2nd. The deadline is long past. Um, it's now June 14th, so it's been about 12 days. Well, you know, she's, she's got a lot to lose, so I guess, you know, I guess she figures why not, maybe. I don't know. But um, so well, I, yeah. this is Wednesday Talk Radio here on your community radio station, KBOO broadcasting live from our studios here in inner southeast Portland. But of course, going out the wider Portland metro area down into the Willamette Valley towards Philomath and Corvallis and out into the Columbia River Gorge, Hood River, White Salmon in that area. And of course, over the World Wide Web at kboo.fm, you can read a little more, get some links uh, uh, to what we've been talking about on the, my program page. That's a Wednesday talk radio. And... I'm Paul Rowland. I'm the weekly host, and I've got my second Wednesday regular guest, Jacqueline Keeler, who is a, a native author and activist here in the Portland area. Uh, uh, on her mother's side, she's a citizen of the Navajo or Diné Nation, and on her dad's side of the um, Dakota people. So, we are talking about Erica Worth probably giving her I know. too much time. Yeah. Too much time. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. I mean, it's um, you know, she's um, she's still at it. You know, she's going to be at StokerCon um, this Friday. What's that? And uh, it's like a horror um, horror writer convention, like after Bram Stoker, and um, and she's being promoted as. Uh, it's ironic because she's uh, someone sent me a screenshot this morning and. Um, She's actually on a panel where she's discussing um, "Take Their Hands: Ancestry as Source." <laughs> <laughs> it's just, uh, yeah. I mean, what ancestry? We would love to see it. I mean, and uh, you know, just uh, crickets on that. Maybe, where, where, where is that going to be? Um, let's see, uh, let's see, um, StokerCon, Pittsburgh. Well, maybe you must have some allies there who might, uh, you know, oh, I, ask that question. Yeah, I, yeah, I don't know. It's um, yeah, it's just uh, you know, I was actually um, I spoke in a panel on pretendianism at the Associated Writers Writing Programs Conference when it was held in Seattle, I think towards the end of March or so. And um, and uh, and, and she was there as well. I didn't see her there, um, but you know, it's um, it's been really gratifying to get all the support we've gotten on our GoFundMe, um, and um. And just to see the wide range of Native people. That's what we found at the Associated Writing Program was there was a whole bunch of Native people there that came out, Native writers who came out to support us and say that they stand with us. And, and when we were able to raise so much money um, for our retainer uh, really fast, um, you know, and get support also from law firms offering to represent us, it, it didn't make us realize really, it gave people an opportunity to show their support. And, and that was an incredible experience. And I think that living in this sort of Twitter bubble, this sort of echo chamber of hatred against myself and other Native people who are doing this work, um, they don't, they didn't realize uh, the extent uh, of the support that we have. I mean, even Orville Looking Horse donated to my legal fund. Mm -hmm. so and uh, I, so it's a, yeah, it's quite extensive and, and that's been really gratifying. But what we've been told by attorneys is that um, this this is like most lawyers would be ashamed to send this letter. It just it's not um, a good look because attacking native journalists for doing journalism um, by an anti-slap attorney is doesn't look great. So and uh, and the the, uh, the threatened lawsuit has no teeth um, because you know to pr of course to prove that she's been defamed she has to prove she's native which she has not done so if clifford and, davidson uh, the attorney is listening or anyone uh, any friends or anyone who knows him um perhaps uh this is sinking in possibly um that would be interesting um so i, I neglected to mention at the uh, bottom of the hour it's now eight thirty 
five almost. Um, we're over halfway through the show, and we do have a call-in number for people who want to join the conversation um, with my guest, Jacqueline Keeler, 503-231-8187. That's 503-231-8187. And before we continue, I also just want to mention that we are a listener-supported station going on 54 years strong, one of the uh, strongest and oldest independent community stations in the country and totally worthy and deserving of your support. And you can go to our website, kboo.fm, and click on that Donate button. If you have the means and desire, you ought to have the desire, and if you have the means, please go do that at your earliest available opportunity. And uh, so so have you gotten any uh, – well, I want to – you know, I, I just want to also open it up to other issues in uh, in Native American Indian country um, – that, uh, there's, well, I'd like to just add one thing for that. I think one of the things is that um, one is that this lawyer, Clifford S. Davidson, he's basically, um, what he's done is he's tried to dress up a defamation lawsuit as a tort lawsuit, which is the exact same um, thing that Trump did when he sued the New York Times and his niece, Mary Trump. Um, and the courts threw that out. So he's, he's, he's resorting to techniques of intimidation against Native journalists and a Native organization in order to protect someone who has no proof they're Native. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then, and, and really you cannot just scout them out of trauma that causes Native people. I mean, um, you know, I think, uh, you know, you know, Tony Perry, you know, he's, he's, um, you know, he's, he's a young father, just out of college, you know, um, he's in England, living in England, um, and is, and is a British national as well as a Chickasaw citizen. But he, uh, which made, which would have made it very difficult for her to serve him, honestly, but um, and, and costly. But, but he was quite, you know, it was really quite. You know, when you're just starting out as a young family, you know, being threatened like this is, is really scary. And and um, and we were just lucky we were able to get the support and raise the money quite quickly uh, to retain a law firm. And um, but I mean, putting a native person through that from the tribe you claim in her book, White Horse, is totally based on Chickasaw culture and, and in really um, quite, uh, um, quite, quite offensive ways. Um, and, um, and to attack a Chickasaw citizen who is simply asking, you know, for proof, um, you know, of her claims uh, is pretty horrific and, and really shows the damage and harm. You know, pretendianism, I've come to, come to terms with that, pretendianism is a hate crime. It's not about, we shouldn't feel like, you know, sort of um, flattered by the claims, the, the desire to be us, right? And, um, and it's not just simply a mistake, like, oh, they just didn't know, you know, they built a whole career, you know, on this claim, right, Ma- making hundreds of thousands of dollars a year, you know, oh, they didn't know they were totally white, you know, it's like, it's not, I think it is hate, um, because of the way they treat me, the people who ask too many questions, and What's happening to me and and the other uh, native folks who are being um, who are fighting this uh, um, this threatened lawsuit uh, is happening to native people around the country, and that's why I took up this work because when I was interviewing native professionals in all kinds of fields, one of the things that they always wanted to talk to me was the issue that they had a pretending being hired in their department, you know, or, you know, was being featured in the same art show as them. What do they do? Because when they complain, they're viewed as a problem, right? And then they lose out on career opportunities. So pretendians, you know, uh, you know, use their cultural capital, often as white people, to be able to, you know, uh, to dominate uh, different opportunities, or allegedly for Native people, and to push out and threaten and harm financially and emotionally actual native people who question their 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 uh, alleged claims and so it's it's really it's it's not a just a like you know because we're not talking about people who, who privately think these things these are people who will build careers on them right and um and a pretendian is not a private person a pretendian is a public person and um and, and has made public claims whether you know on the bios of their books you know uh you know with their universities on their web pages promote the native person or you know uh in their own writing 
or, uh, you know, even giving testimony before Congress, right, speaking on our behalf at the United Nations. There's all kinds of ways in which um, this, they, they, they flex their influence and they begin to direct and speak for us and, um, and displace us, basically. So, so have, any, um, have any prominent um, Native American, uh, well, specifically maybe fiction writers, since that's her field, have any of them, have any of them like, stood up and spoken out on this issue? Um, well, I guess Tiffany Mitch has, mm-hmm. and uh, and now she's named in this, Jimmy, and um, and so there is definitely harassment going on if you speak up. You know, people, Native writers are afraid. I mean, um, I remember when Rebecca Roanhorse, her real name is Rebecca Parrish, um, she um, was called out um, for exploiting, Nav- misappropriating Navajo culture, and um, this was uh, June 28, 2019, and they wrote a group of a bunch of Navajo writers wrote a group letter, very, very polite, um, basically pointing out, you know, the ways in which her use of Navajo culture was 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 really um, exploitive and, 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 and not not okay. It was a form of violence against us, and and um, and she launched the whole thing to take them down as anti-black. Um, she, she wasn't claiming through her mother. She wasn't claiming through her father, who was um, who, who was um, who was black, but through her mother. Who is Hispanic New Mexican, and you know we looked at her tree. Um, uh, so did the um, you know the, the Hispanic New Mexican uh, Genealogical Society, and they couldn't find any. This is like a this is a Spanish colonial conquistador tree, you know. And um, sounds and, like somebody wants to talk to you, but we'll just let that call okay. waiting go. It's okay. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. So it's just uh, you know. So yeah, so so those Navajo writers, um, you know, she tried to basically cancel an entire generation of Navajo literature to protect her space. And um, the Indians.com also did a whole looking at her. They called her the Elizabeth Warren of the sci-fi set, and, um, and she had no connection to the claimed tribe, um, the Ok Wingate Pueblo. And then, um, but these writers paid the price. I mean, they lost bookings. They, um, you know. Um, you know, because she just, uh, yeah, so it's, it's scary to speak out and to speak to this sort of thing. People, Native people lose out, but Indians do not so much. You know, they solidify their power base. Although there have been, it seems like maybe slowly the tide is turning. You know, you got a, a, a lot of play for that uh, little feather issue, the uh, woman who claimed to be Native who uh, spoke on behalf of Marlon Brando. And then there was a, a California university professor who like actually issued a, a a lengthy, fairly extensive apology and and basically renounced her claims. So it seems like it seems like it's having some impact. Are you still there? Oh, I think maybe she, maybe she. Oh, we lost her. Maybe that call waiting had a. Had some influence there. Anyway, um, well, well, we're waiting to get Jackie back. I did want to, there's some breaking news from just about a week ago. Land, defest, land defenders were arrested, camp raided after blocking excavator. This is from the Ox Sam camp. I had a guest on a few weeks ago about that. They're uh, protecting uh, Pihi Muho, which is uh, known as Thacker Pass, from the world's largest open pit lithium mine, if and when it is built. Um, this is June 7th. A, more, a group of Native American water protectors and allies used their bodies to nonviolently block construction of the controversial Thacker Pass lithium mine in Nevada, turning back bulldozers and heavy equipment. The dramatic scene unfolded this morning as workers attempting to dig trenches near Sent- Sentinel Rock were turned back by land defenders who ran, ran and put their bodies between heavy equipment and the land. Now they're being arrested and the camp is being raided. Well, this is the, now it's past tense. Uh, Northern Paiute and Western Shoshone people consider Thacker Pass to be sacred. So when they learned that the area was slated to become the biggest open pit lithium mine in North America, they filed lawsuits, organized rallies, spoke at regulatory hearings, and organized the community. But despite all efforts over the last three years, construction of the mine work began in March. That's what's led Native American elders, friends, and family, water protectors, and their allies to establish what they call a prayer camp and ceremonial fire at Thacker Pass on May 11th, et cetera, et cetera. I see that Jackie is back. Hi, Jackie. Did you hear I was talking about the the camp raided and people arrested at the 
at the uh, Land and Water Defender Camp at Thacker Pass in Nevada. Have you been following that one at all? Um, a little bit, not a lot. So I just got I got um, cut off there. <laughs> I was uh, I just got back on here, so I, have, I missed sort of what you've been discussing. So okay, no worries. Um, I, I basically said this is uh, happened on June seventh, where they raided the camp. Uh, this is the you know the site of the the uh, projected largest lithium mine in the world, which is going to have uh, devastating environmental consequences. Is kind of in the you know in the in the crosshairs because of this uh, massive attempted shift towards uh, electric cars and uh, mm -hmm. other so-called uh, green technologies. But uh, with all of such technologies have uh, big environmental consequences. So it's a, it's a big issue. Um, it's kind of dividing the environmental community, but it seems like the uh, at least the Native Americans down that way are, are are standing strong. I know it's also dividing some of the tribes. But um, anyway, I just wanted to flag that since it just happened. I had a guest on a, a few weeks ago talking about that. Yeah, yeah, that's an, really an amazing story. And, and yeah, it's, I think uh, I definitely, I know that there was also an issue with the copper mine lawsuit still going forward, um, um, appeal um, um, in um Apache Stronghold, uh, yep. and um, in Arizona, and so yeah, it's um, yeah these uh, you know the, the price that Native communities continue to pay, and I understand that in the Stacker Pass there, there's like there's plants and stuff that only grow there, you know, Native plants, and that they would also be endangered, and um, so yeah, it's just a lot of elements, and um, um, I certainly uh, I definitely want to dig into that more. Uh, I've been sort of looking into it a bit because. Um, I've been working on my book about the Manhattan Project and its impact on my family, and um, you know the development of the atomic bomb, and um, and sort of you know looking at um, uh, how these sorts of things you know impact Native communities disproportionately, and and actually you know of course other communities of color as well. Mm -hmm. And uh, no one's called in yet, but. Uh we do have a little over 10 minutes left, 503-231-8187, 503-231-8187. I guess before people start calling uh, and uh, may want to talk about the pretendian or other issues, the one last uh, detail that I, w I wanted to hit on was um, the connection to Sherman Alexie, who uh, we did a program uh, uh, quite a few years ago about um, his uh, abusive behavior that uh, got called out by a number of women and uh, sort of led to a, sort of a, fair, a fairly strong retreat from public life. I don't know if he's emerged much since, but, uh, you know, a major, major figure in Native American literature, unfortunately. Um, but uh, so she was actually in that, involved in that story as one of the accusers, right? That's how you first yes. came to know about her. Yes, yes. I um, I worked on a story on that, in, I think, around March 2018, and I published it in Yes Magazine, and it was featured in Long Reads as well. And I think I was also interviewed on um, on a um, OPB story, one of their shows about it, and two. And, and, um, but, yeah, I think, um, yeah, it's, um, you know, that was a, uh, he was accused uh, by her, by another uh, uh, Native writer, Alyssa Washuda, and um, and then um, and of course Litsa um, uh, Dramusius. She's a, um, a writer from Seattle, and um, she she brought for a lot of these claims. Um, she was not she was in a consensual relationship, but she um, 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 brought for a lot of these other claims. And, and but the uh, NPR had done a very comprehensive. Um, investigation and it wasn't just those three that came forward it was there were 70 different women who came forward wow. and um so he was you know um you know just even things as small as you know coming coming on stage introduce them you know he would grab their butt or something you know or you know kind of do that kind of stuff so mm -hmm. um so you don't have uh, any reasons to to question her credibility on that particular issue i don't imagine um, you know, I, I don't, uh, I haven't revisited that at all. Um, and I haven't really, I don't have a reason to at this okay, point. Right. Um, so, I mean, I, I think the, the main thing is to, uh, you know, uh, to always exercise caution, um, because of course you, know, you just don't know. But yeah, I think, uh, to me, the main issue is, you know, what we were seeking to verify was simply, you know, her, her claims 
to um, a very specific ancestry, and um, and uh, we just couldn't find anything at all. And mm-hmm. so, um, you know, suing us because we can't find her native ancestry. Um, I don't know, <laughs> but we, there's no lawsuit yet. She hasn't filed, um, you know, and um, our, our lawyers have told us that it would most likely would be thrown out right away because she hasn't shown malice. Right. Um, and then, of course, she also has to prove that she's native, otherwise defamation has not occurred, right? And um, so, yeah, um, and we've seen cases like this come before the courts before, um, you know, where someone is claiming to be native, and then the first thing they have to do is prove to the judge they are, and when they can't, the, the case is just thrown out. There's just no, um, no basis to sue if you're not actually native. <laughs> you can't prove <laughs> it. it. sounds so, um, logical. We do have a couple yeah. callers. Um, let's go to Greg. You are on the air. Hi there. Hi. Um, fascinating subject. Um, I had no idea that, uh, um, uh, that Jackie, Jacqueline was doing this work until, you know, showed up on your show a while back. Um, um, so I guess I just have a couple of questions about a couple of specific people. Um, you know, I have done some reading of Ward Churchill's. And I know that uh, uh, you know a lot of indigenous people don't like, don't think he's he's a, he's a native, basically. So I guess I'm curious about him. Um, he actually wrote a book in the early '90s called "Fantasies of the Master Race" that talked a lot about these subjects. And in the book, he called out what's her name, Roseanne Dunbar Ortiz, mm-hmm. as somebody who was possibly pretending and uh, just, I guess, looking for you know. Wondering if you know you think Ward is a pretendian, or but I'm you know very curious about what you said earlier in the show here about what was it a survey saying something about that white people think of native people as sixty percent human and forty percent animal? Yeah, yeah, that was a Kellogg Foundation um, study done in twenty seventeen, and they did they did phone surveys and also um, focus groups and. Um, a $2.5 million study, so they spent a lot of money on it. And it great researchers. I went and saw the presentations. And, yeah, um, with Ward Churchill, yeah, we looked at his tree, and we couldn't find any native ancestry. And also with um, Roxanne Dunbar-Tees as well, um, no native ancestry was found. So um, it's, you know, um, uh, I, I have, um, I was the person who broke the story about uh, Sashing Little Feather in the San Francisco Chronicle in October, and then um, we have another big story breaking in October, um, and with Canadian um, with a Canadian television show. So, um, and then I have a four part series coming out in the San Francisco Chronicle this summer, looking at ethnic fraud um, pretendians, um, including a pretendian tribe that is, is trying to um, co-manage a uh, national marine sanctuary five times the size of Yosemite off the coast of California. So. They are organized on not only the, you know, there's not only the personal claims, but there's also these sort of groups of folks who, who are starting tribes, quote-unquote tribes. They're um, mostly just nonprofits. And um, California doesn't recognize, doesn't offer state recognition, which is actually unconstitutional because tribes are classed as, with the same as foreign nations. So only the federal government has the right to enter into any sort of um, acknowledgement agreements with um, tribes, um, just as you know, states don't have the right to negotiate foreign treaties. Um, so wow. it falls under the Trade Intercourse Act. And so the um, so yeah, so there's um, a lot of room for fraud when you refuse to look at evidence, right? And, and this is sort of the story that's been built up that you know basically you know all evidence is colonial, so we should not look at any of it, and we should just rely on these people's personal stories and. Um, and, you know, I wrote a long piece kind of for um, Native American Heritage Month uh, for the Chronicle in November, kind of talking about sort of what is it, is, what is it to be an Indian, right? Because, I mean, it's not something I ever thought was that complicated. Um, all four of my grandparents were enrolled in federally recognized tribes. All eight of my great-grandparents were enrolled in federally recognized tribes. That means that they were all subject to federal Indian law and policy and state policies as well. And um, my sub-stack, I detail what it means to be subject to state policies towards Indians um, with the state of Arizona not allowing Indian people to vote because they class us in the same 
category as insane people because we are wards of the federal government. And and so what it means to not be classed as Indian means that you avoid a lot of this trauma. And the issue with pretendians is that they are they are trafficking in stolen trauma. They exploit our trauma to promote themselves. And if you look at their family trees and their families were not at all subject to any of these laws, were never identified as Indian. In fact, they call us paper Indians derogatively, you know, as, as a derogatory tor- term, or treaty Indians, saying that we are less Indian than they are because their ancestors hid out as white people for 150 years and refused to be identified, to sign any documents with the, with the, with the white man claiming to, to prove that they were Indian, right? And that may so, seem quite heroic, right? But when you think about it, it's completely ridiculous. They're basically saying that my traditional Navajo grandparents, who did not speak English, um, should have, like, you know, really stuck it to the man by claiming to be white, living in a white border town, you know, off the reservation, and pretending to be white. So, right? I, I hate to... And it's, just, it's just a completely ridiculous idea. And, yep. and it only serves one purpose, which is to legitimize um, people who have no proof. So we only, uh, have, we only have three or four minutes left. I, I just want to ask, Greg, if you want to ask a follow-up question or comment or... Um, this is a huge subject, gets in the weeds really, really fast, but I, you know, I'm just curious, you know, I really like a lot of the work that Ward Churchill has done. Does that mean that you don't think his work is valid? Or Well, I think it definitely needs to be um, probably fact-checked. Um, there has been some issues with his work. Um, I, I, I think that um, there's other scholars who can speak to that more, but um, there is, um, I would, some of it was actually, um, what do you call it, um, he stole it from someone else, um, and um, so. Um, but yeah, I would say that you know, you know, <laughs> I really think that we we need people who are truthful. I mean, if someone was, um, um, you know, pretending to be, you know, I mean, but, but that just came up um, recently with <clears throat> a um, um, an African American writer who was who had presented himself as being Afro Caribbean, right, um, and that. Um, so the question is, what does that mean? You know, and, and it's the same thing with um, um, other abusers, and I do view pretendianism as a form of abuse. Um, you know, when you're looking at, well, should we value um, the work of Woody Allen, you know, and um, anymore? Um, and uh, so how do we disentangle um, abuse and fraud, um, in this case, you know, ethnic fraud, uh, you know, uh, with um, from from the work, and and I guess that I I, I don't. I mean, I, I've read that book, um, uh, that War Churchill book, and and I enjoyed it when I read it. I'll be honest with you. Um, and uh, but um, but yeah, I, I would probably I haven't done a thing where I revisited it and kind of went through it all. Um, I'm sure scholars will in the future He's- once we really prove this case um, of the extent of pretendianism which we're doing um, extensive um, work on, and I'll be publishing it in a peer-reviewed journal, um, you know, then we have to suddenly really come to terms with all of it, what it means to have been, you know, a lot of things we think Indian people have done, we haven't done yet. Um, you know, uh, that hasn't happened, or, or someone stole, you know, stolen the, the title of, I saw one pretendian claiming that her father was the first Iroquois medical doctor. You know, we did her um, tree, and she's totally white, and, and there is a first Iroquois medical doctor, but it's not her father. I mean, it's where they steal our, you know, our, our, um, our you know, they, 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 you know, it's just, it's, it's just theft. Well, thank you, and, for, and, thank you for calling, Greg. Hey, could, I, could I mention, I, I really think that all this, you know, pretendianism comes from the fact that white America does not have a culture. I don't have a culture. Okay. I'm extremely envious that you come up, you, you have this. Okay, sorry. I, I guess we got. To, we're, we're just out about out of time, and sure. that would have been interesting to hear that, that reflection. Yeah, but exactly. Word Churchill certainly undermined the position he set himself up as, as basically a spokes, you know, a de facto spokesperson for Native America. I enjoyed all the books I read by him. Um, whether I'll go back and read them, as you're suggesting, to to really, and it's a complex subject. But yeah, he he definitely. Yeah, had, there's he definitely no doesn't have any ancestry that could be found. No, there's, there's no need to uh, pretend to be Native to be an effective advocate. It's completely unnecessary, Jimmy. Mm-hmm. And he could have done all that work just being who he was, you know, and people would well, have appreciated okay, it. Okay, Greg, Greg, uh, so we we got to go. 
I thought I thought we had lost you. Oh, it's the second. Oh, it's Elliot. Sorry, we, we don't have any more time. I'm sorry, Elliot. We we should have gotten to you earlier, but we're people need to call further before the last five ten minutes of the show. But thank you, Greg. Thank you, Elliot, and thank you, Jacqueline Keeler. Appreciate it. Well, thanks for having me. Okay, and that's it for Wednesday Talk Radio. Thank you, Ty, for running the board. Bye. You're listening to KBOO Portland, 90.7 FM, K282BH Philomath on 104.3 FM, and K220HR Hood River on 91.9 FM. The time is 8.59 AM. This is Ursula K. Le Guin, and you are listening to KBOO, the cheerful voice of social conscience, KBOO Portland. KBOO Community Radio holds open meetings concerning the operations and programming of KBOO in accordance with requirements of the Communications Act of 1934 and certification requirements of the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Information about KBU Community Radio's open meeting policy is available at our website at kbu.fm. The Development and Events Committee will meet on Tuesday, June 20th at 5.30 p.m. via public video conference. A public link and phone number to attend the virtual meeting can be found on our website at kbu.fm. Please visit 